Welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs show, a safe place for women to heal and grow, where we discover our value, share our tears as we go through the hard times and rise up as we become empowered to meet our challenges head on. On this week's episode of Tiara's Tears and Triumphs, we are going to look at why I describe abusive relationships as revolving door relationships so much of the time. So this week, I am actually sharing my story that I have written. So I have, it's not my story in its entirety. It is just talking about a critical point in my journey where things escalated and where I basically came to a crossroads in my life. And these crossroads led me away from that relationship finally, even though I'd been trying to distance myself for quite some time. It took something um, something really life-changing to get me going in another direction. And this is often the case for women uh, victims of abusive relationships. So I am sharing my story. And this is a story that I have written, that I have shared through a community project in my local community where people from um, all walks of life with varying degrees of um, either mental health issues or physical challenges uh, have participated in this local project. And I have had the opportunity to mentor some of the amazing participants in this project through um, through the the project and I have also been fortunate to uh, be a participant of this project too which has been an amazing experience and has really allowed me to um, use my passion for expressing myself and in words and in communication and I have had the opportunity to do this with this project which is absolutely amazing and I am very happy to share my story in the hope that um, some of the challenges that I face that that might help you to have the courage to seek the support that you need to just get that hand up um, at that critical time in your life to be able to stand up on your own two feet again, which is just absolutely so important. As you know, I am all about helping women to become empowered. So I want you to know that that I haven't been this strong the whole way through, that there have been times in my life where I have been absolute rock bottom. And this story the story of the revolving door actually really goes deep into what happened at one of the most harrowing points in my journey. So I hope that, I don't know whether I can say I hope you enjoy what I've written, but I hope that perhaps it gives those who 
don't have experience with abusive relationships perhaps gives you some insight into why it is so difficult for women to break away from the cycle of abuse. And for victims and survivors, I hope that it gives you some inspiration and encouragement with the challenges that you face. Okay, let's dive in. Just a caution. If you feel unsafe at any time, please stop listening. You can come back any time you are in a safe place to listen to the rest of the podcast. Your safety is the most important thing to consider. Today I am sharing my story. I recently participated in a community project where participants were able to create a story in any form that they chose. So any medium and um, I chose to write my story and I chose to also create an audio recording of my story to share with people everywhere. So my story is called The Revolving Door and it is an insight into escaping an abusive relationship. So let's start with the introduction. My name is Sandy Johnston and the single mum in this story was a former version of myself. I am the mum of four gorgeous children and I am the survivor of a long-term abusive relationship. I fled to the Bellarine Peninsula with my three youngest children in 2015. My business today empowers female domestic abuse victims and survivors with a safe space to go, to shut fear out and unlock doors to new opportunities. The unique nine-step fear to freedom system enables clients to gain clarity and confidence that they need to take charge and achieve their dreams. We have opportunities every day to rewrite our lives. For me, it took a life-altering event to help me rewrite mine. In the process of rewriting my life, I adopted the name Sandy. And as it was the case for me, sometimes it is necessary to let everything from your old life go to have a chance at living a better life. And that is what I needed to do. Home was not a safe place for me and my children for more than a decade because I partnered with a man who became abusive. I share a little of my story with you now to give you a sense of the type of thing that women and children endure when caught in a cycle of family violence. One of the most common questions people ask about women who are victims of abusive relationships is why doesn't she just leave? I hope that my story will answer this question. Home is where the heart is, but sometimes violence lives there too, leaving victims of abuse feeling conflicted, scared and confused. 
every home has a front door and as an outsider when you pass by someone else's front door you have no idea what is going on behind that door they say that one door closes and another door opens what of revolving doors you know the ones that go around and around they are in perpetual motion allowing for people to enter and exit at will you normally find these revolving doors in high-rise office buildings. From my experience as a survivor of a long-term abusive relationship, the door that victims find themselves living behind is like a revolving door. Perpetrators come and go as they please. They cannot be locked out. This makes it impossible for the victim to close the door and lock it securely to keep the perpetrator of the abuse out. Try as women may to move away and distance themselves from their abuser, they are not in control of whether their abuser will leave them alone or perpetrate more abuse. Perpetrators of abuse often have unhealthy obsessions about their partners and won't let their partners go. You would expect everyone has a right to feel safe in their own home and everyone has a right to choose who they invite into their home. What of women who are in relationships with men who are abusive? Their right to stay safe is taken away from them by the person they should be able to rely upon most. Try as I might to distance myself, I could not separate myself from my abusive ex-partner. For a long time, I had the attitude that he was the one with the problem. Therefore, he should be the one to leave me and so that I could look after the children and provide them with the stability that they needed. But logic failed to translate to my desired outcome. He kept coming and going through the revolving door and I was unable to stop him. I didn't think it fair that the children and I should have to uproot our lives because of the destruction that one person was causing for so many. What I thought at the end of the day didn't matter because I was not in control of my outcomes. I was a victim of circumstance and I needed a lot of intervention and support to be able to change this. I now advocate for women to put their safety first, closely followed by their sanity and remind them that everything else that they are facing in their lives is bigger outable. Now I invite you into a time and place that is thankfully behind me. Chapter one, it was like any other day in late September, 2013. Around 4 p.m., the only sound that could be heard in a quiet bayside street full of empty holiday houses was that of a green four-wheel drive crunching over driveway pebbles as single mum Amanda arrived home with her three children. 
The property wasn't anything flash, but it had appeal, a bit of storybook charm. There was a lovely white picket fence, a large yard, far too big for a single mum to manage on her own. The grass would creep up to a very unrespectable height more often than she cared to remember. As much as she tried to appear normal, it was evident that things were unmanageable from the outside looking in. The front porch often had an array of paraphernalia that was largely remnants from the time in the not so recent past where the bank had repossessed her dream house. On that fateful day in September, her life and the lives of her children were irrevocably changed in an instant. We all come to crossroads in our lives where we are presented with a choice to go one way or another. That day in September, as her four-wheel drive ventured down the road to her front door, Amanda never imagined that this would be the crossroads that would take her in a direction away from all that she was and away from all that she knew and held dear. After the devastating loss of her dream house, the house she now called home was a cheap and cheerful holiday rental. It was half finished at best with holes in the floorboards, large enough for the children to post their toys to the dark recesses under the house and for pesky rodents to come and go as they pleased. Despite its obvious flaws, this house provided them with a roof over their heads. The knowledge of how close they came to being homeless made this tiny two-bedroom holiday house feel like a gift from above. It's funny the things one tolerates and tries to make peace with when left with no other option to, but to make the most of what they have. Was she happy? No. Why? many reasons, but this defining moment draws her mind back over and over as this day was different from anything they had experienced before. This day forever changed the trajectory of their lives. As usual, the children were bubbling over with excitement, racing up the steps of the porch, clamoring over each other, to try to be the first to open the door. Of course, Amanda still had to jostle the children aside to be able to get the key to connect with the lock so that one of them could win their little competition. For the life of her, she cannot recall which of the children opened the door that fateful day, but she will never forget what happened next. Chapter two. As they stood together like a bowl of messy spaghetti intertwined at risk of tripping over each other while Amanda awkwardly juggled armfuls of bags, one of the children said something that made them pause on the threshold of the house. He said, what's that funny smell, mummy? While another chimed in, scrunching up their nose in disgust, saying, it smells like rotten eggs. That nervous knot that had found its permanent residence in the pit of her stomach from the constant stress she was living with transformed into what felt like a noose 
that tightened around her throat, threatening to stop her from drawing breath. It was a moment of sheer panic. Adrenaline kicked in in an instant. The ensuing moments felt completely surreal. She felt like she was having an out-of-body experience. As the seconds raced by, she found herself wanting to go into denial and by asking herself questions like, is this really happening? Surely this can't be real. These thoughts kept her wishing and hoping that there was an unmalicious reason, some easily explainable accident for the gas pouring through her house. While at the same time, she was resigned that the cycle of abuse she was caught up in had escalated to a place she had never believed it would go. Her fight or flight instinct kicked in. Thankfully, she didn't freeze. Although it is widely understood that when there is a crisis, we are all hardwired to go into fight or flight mode. And Amanda was unaware that this was happening instinctively to her in the heat of the moment. She had no understanding that this is our internal defence system at work trying to protect us and our loved ones from getting hurt nor did she have any knowledge that sometimes instead of fighting or fleeing, we might freeze. And although it seems counterintuitive to have this response, it is, this response is also trying to protect us by shutting us down to conserve our energy. Nor did she know that all responses are valid or that some are more helpful than others. Her first response was purely instinctual and she went into fight mode to protect her children and her home. Amanda took one whiff and instantly recognised the smell coming from the house to be gas. There are varying intensities to the smell of gas depending on how much gas has been leaked. From where she stood on the doorway of her home, she could sense that the air was thick throughout the little house with toxic gas vapours. Without hesitation, she swept the kids up with her arms circling around them like a mother lioness protecting her cubs, herding them away from the house hurriedly, telling them sternly, her voice audibly shaking with a fevered high pitch, get away from the house, go and stand over by the fence, stay there and don't come near the house. They heard the urgency and the hysteria in her voice. They did not know what was wrong, but thankfully they did as she asked. Although they did what she asked, this did not stop them from bombarding her with questions to help them make sense of what was happening. She had no time to explain. She had to act quickly. With the children clustered anxiously together like mice waiting to be pounced on, waiting nervously for her next instruction, she acted on pure instinct again. She had already seen down the narrow hallway from where they had all stood moments earlier that the gas fluid heater was ignited. She knew without a doubt in her mind that she had turned off the heater in the morning before they had left the house when she dropped the kids off at the bus stop and carried on to her place of work. Without taking time to think it through logically, she ran down the hallway to turn off the heater. 
she knew that a mixture of gas and flame was a cocktail for an explosion. She quickly surveyed the house from where she stood. It was then that she saw that the doors underneath the stovetop in the kitchen were open and that the gas pipe to the stovetop was cut in half. She heard the distinct sound of gas hissing as it poured out of the broken pipe. She turned on her heel with fear and with dread, with the realisation that someone had attempted to blow up her house and her and her children with it. Chapter three. She slammed the door behind her as she ran out of the house. By this time, she was shaking all over like a leaf in a brisk breeze. She could feel the effects of shock settling in. She was icy cold, chilled to the bone. They were not yet out of harm's way. She had closed the door behind her, but the problem had not gone away. Gas continued to fill the house. Although they were unscathed, she knew they were not yet through the crisis. She looked up and down the street, frantically looking for someone to help her. Heaven smiled on them as she noticed two figures in the distance down the street walking towards them. It was the couple who lived diagonally across the road from them, returning from their daily walk. She signalled them over to help her. They could see from her ashen face and from the way that the children were timidly standing over by the fence that something was very wrong. She told them about the broken gas pipe and asked for their help. She had no idea how to stop the gas from flowing into her house, but thankfully they did. You never know the true character of people until you experience a crisis. These kind neighbours were like a couple of angels sent from heaven to help that day. Until then, she did not know them well at all. She isolated herself from most of her neighbours because she was ashamed for her dysfunctional life with her revolving door relationship with a drug-addicted, abusive ex-partner. And this couple appeared to have a very simple, normal life. In her mind, she reconciled that they would not want much to do with someone whose life was as chaotic and complicated as hers. She is forever glad on this day that she swallowed her stupid pride and flagged them down for help. Her neighbour, John, knew exactly what to do and quickly went back home to grab a wrench to turn the gas off at the main. And his wife, Sarah, went straight to the kids and invited them over to their house for milk and biscuits. She nodded her approval to Sarah and the kids and reassured them that she would be over soon. This allowed Amanda the space she needed to call emergency services to report what had happened. John stayed with her while she waited for the emergency services to arrive. Within minutes, she could hear sirens approaching. Three fire trucks pulled up outside her home. Two police cars and a detective's police car also pulled up, all within seconds of each other. Firefighters poured out of the fire trucks wearing protective gear and gas masks, carrying massive fans to blow the gas out of the house. 
She felt sick to the stomach from the gravity of what had happened, seeing emergency services there en masse, and she was left wrestling with disbelief that her ex-partner could do such a thing. The police took a statement from her asking her questions to try to establish what had happened. By this time, she was accustomed to speaking to the police. She had been dealing with them for about a year reporting breaches to the intervention order that she had in place against her ex-partner. Even though you are a victim, you automatically feel as though you need to defend yourself for being a victim. Police have varying degrees of communication skills and some lack the sensitivity needed when assisting vulnerable women. But that's another story for another time. The police have their work cut out for them with family violence, with a staggering 88,000 family violence offences being reported to Victoria Police alone in 2020. As much as she just wanted to find a haven in those moments, she was left with the task of cooperating with the police by answering all their questions, even if she felt more traumatised by what felt like an inquisition as the police probed her with question after question, many of which she had no answer for. As scared and vulnerable as she felt in those moments, where she was trying to convey all she knew about the nature of her ex-partner to communicate her need to have every possible level of protection available. She had an uneasy feeling that what she was relaying may not be taken seriously by the police. But she learned the power of choice that day. The police could not guarantee her safety or the children's safety but they were able to offer her choices and possible paths to take. It was up to her to choose. Her ex-partner was well known to the police and not for the breaches to the intervention order and committing acts of family violence. Both his person and his character were known to them, which helped her explain the madness of the malicious attack on the children and herself. It was unclear whether her ex-partner acted alone or with others that day. Nothing was clear. He had not been caught red-handed. Until she had the first intervention order awarded to her and the children, her ex-partner had never been held legally accountable for any of his criminal behaviour. The law was beginning to catch up with him. It had been a long time coming. For years, he had bluffed his way into getting what he wanted and to get out of what he wanted when he wanted to escape things, like being held responsible for his actions. All of these things, typical traits of a narcissist. He was slippery like a snake, gliding past, laying low and staying out of sight. Although there was a general awareness of his less than credible character, none of this made it easy for her to process what had just happened. For years, she was a victim of psychological abuse and stalking behaviours. She was of the belief up until that time that her ex-partner would not do anything to try to physically harm the children or herself. 
she was in turmoil, trying to reconcile how he could do something so premeditatively to try to harm them. Because of the wake-up call she had that day, today she advocates for other victims of abusive relationships to make their safety their number one priority. Having survived that day in September where the odds were stacked against her and the kids, she knows that this polarised the importance of safety first for her. From that day on, she made choices based on what was going to give the kids and her the best odds of staying safe. She tells women like herself every day now, your safety comes first, closely followed by your sanity and everything else is figure outable from there. That harrowing day in September was her awakening to the need to move heaven and earth to try to keep them safe. The pressure she felt of being constantly stalked, surveyed and gaslighted was nothing in comparison to the fear that now coursed through her veins, knowing that something so devious had snapped in her abusive ex-partner to cause him to try and do away with her and the kids. Chapter 4. The house that provided them with a roof over their heads was unable to provide them with much needed security. Although the front door had a deadlock, there were two sets of French doors at the back and to the side that could be easily pried open. Amanda's ex-partner took great pride in how easily he could break into houses and cars. He reveled in his cleverness at being able to break through conventional boundaries. He saw himself as a maverick and was very proud of his mafia associations and other mates of dubious character. His ability to go undetected also extended to technology. He had a very good understanding of how to use it to his advantage and to hack into private accounts without being detected. We all have a technological footprint in the world we live in today and that footprint will leave a trail for those with the technological know-how to hack into people's private accounts. Amanda's ex-partner knew her well and had succeeded in creating a phobia in her with technology. He knew far more than she did about the subject and knew she was unable to protect herself from him online. He used this skill to exert power and control over her. Whether it was her house, her car, her phone or her computer, she did not feel safe anywhere. She did not have control over keeping her property secure and did not know how to protect herself to stop it from happening. There were many times where things from the house went missing, including the computer hard drive that contained all the photos of the children from the time they were born. As she sat answering question after question from the police that day, the reality of how vulnerable she and the children were began to sink in. She did not want the police to leave and she didn't want to stay in the house, but she did not know where to go. 
Amanda was getting a crystal clear picture of what she didn't want but could not bring what she did want into focus. What lay ahead was not clear. She felt as though she was in the dark without any light and she was frightened. She was out of her depth. What do you do when you are terrified someone is out to kill you and your children? If there was a manual for that, she needed it now. You have little choice but to put your trust in those who are there to serve and protect you and hope and pray light will shine enough to see the next step you need to take to hopefully not fall flat on your face. Two detectives were assigned to the case. Amanda felt a rapport with one and he would be her main point of contact from that point, along with the police family violence unit. The house became a crime scene. The police took photos, dusted for fingerprints and did all the things you see on TV crime shows. The forensic team were there as well as the detectives and other uniformed police and until they finished what they needed to do and slowly drifted away. When one of the officers asked whether she felt safe staying in her home, her answer was emphatic, no. She was then given the number for Safe Steps, a women's crisis support line. And as much as she did not want to think about the possibility of whether she and the children should stay or go, there was no denying that this was something she had to explore. Like it or not, she was unable to manage without support. So she dialed the number given and started her first ever conversation with a women's crisis support worker. The crisis support worker patiently guided her by asking a series of questions to help her make choices about what to do next. When she was asked if she felt safe staying in her home, as much as Amanda wanted to find a way to carry on going about her life as before, she knew she would not know a moment's peace. Her reply was again quiet and reserved, no. She was asked if it was possible for her to stay with family. Again, the answer was a resigned no. She knew her family would be compromised if she stayed with them. Her family knew how destructive her ex-partner was and did not want to compromise their own safety. They could not offer refuge. The crisis support worker then asked Amanda if she would like to go into women's refuge. Questions flooded her mind. A refuge? What did that mean? What is a refuge? Where do they need to go to get to the refuge? Can you bring your pets? How long will you need to be there? Will it be filled with other traumatised women and children? All these questions and more raced through her head. Amanda asked some of these questions only to discover that there remained unanswered questions. There were many details that could not be divulged so as not to compromise their service. But one thing was established. Amanda could not bring their pets. 
How do you provide care for your pets when you are being called upon to flee and go into a refuge? As was the case for Amanda, you more than likely need time to make appropriate arrangements. Unless you have faced this situation before, you may never have considered having an emergency contingency plan for your pets. And the need to find someone to care for her pets in her absence weighed heavily on Amanda's mind. Women's refuges are shrouded in secrecy to protect vulnerable women and children. So saying yes to go into a refuge takes a huge leap of faith for women who are already feeling disempowered, vulnerable and already traumatised. Amanda's faith was shaken to the core that day. She was traumatised and confused and overwhelmed. She said, I will think about it and call you back. She needed time to think, to try to gather her thoughts. She was still reeling from what had happened and what she was now called upon to do was so confronting. She desperately wanted to believe that it was somehow not true. She was still attached to her old life and wanted badly to hold on to it, even if it was a mess. When the detectives finally finished questioning her, she walked across the road to Sarah and John's house to check on the children. She was very worried for them, knowing that they would be very confused about what was happening and were in the care of people that they did not know other than occasionally to see them in passing as they walked by their house. Chapter 5. It's funny the things you notice when you are in a hypervigilant state. You are hyper aware and notice little details you might normally just gloss over. As Amanda walked across the street, she noticed a stark difference between her own home and John and Sarah's, something she hadn't noticed before. Even from the outside, their house was meticulously clean and uncluttered, unlike hers. She furtively rang the doorbell and wiped her feet anxiously in anticipation of entering their home. John opened the door with a warm, friendly smile on his softly bearded face. His eyes danced with kindness and compassion. She followed him down the hallway to the back of the house, where she found her kids sitting comfortably on the couch watching TV. Thankfully, they did not appear to be outwardly traumatised by what was happening. Samson, Amanda's family dog, was there too. John had come back to Amanda's place to fetch him in the pandemonium. Unbeknownst to her, Samson had vomited and had diarrhoea in John and Sarah's house due to his exposure to gas. The poor deer seemed unperturbed by the commotion. He wagged his tail with the same unbridled enthusiasm as ever, happy to see Amanda. As she patted Samson, pouring love and affection into him for all that he had endured in the time she had been absent from home that day, she noticed Sarah standing behind the island bench in the kitchen. Sarah had a lovely, warm smile for her too. I gave the kids some biscuits and milk. I hope that's okay, said Sarah. Yes, yes, of course, thank you, was Amanda's reply. She started to notice printed signs with simple instructions and prompts around the room, 
There was one above the clock, another on the fridge and more near appliances. Sarah noticed what Amanda was taking in and said, I have early onset dementia. Suddenly, the simplicity of John and Sarah's home and the life they led made sense to Amanda. The printed signs were there to help Sarah remember things when her memory failed her. Now Amanda understood why she would see Sarah and John going for their walk ritualistically at the same time every day. Understanding that people are creatures of habit made perfect sense the way that this lovely couple kept to their routine. It was clear from the way that John would gently hold Sarah's hand and guide her when they were out for a walk that he was ready to fill the gaps for her and help her feel safe. Amanda understood why he doted on her as he did. Today was a good day for Sarah. She was sharp as a tack, happy to talk openly about her affliction with dementia and her lovely relationship with husband John. Amanda felt incredibly humbled to be welcomed into their beautiful home. They asked her what she was going to do. She told them she did not know, but did not feel safe enough to go back to the house that night. Without hesitation, Sarah and John told Amanda that she and the children were welcome to stay at their house for the night. Amanda didn't want to impose, didn't want to drag them into her drama, but at the same time, with no idea of what to do, she did not outrightly reject their offer. They were so kind and sensitive to the inner turmoil that she was experiencing. The confusion of what to do in a crisis was not lost on them. They did not press her to decide. Instead, they said, you are welcome to stay here while you get things worked out. They then gave her the space to make calls. Amanda called her mum, her sister and her best friend, letting them know what had happened. Each time she relayed events, it felt as though she was talking about someone else's ordeal. And she found herself reassuring each person that she and the children were okay, even though she was scared these words were just hollow platitudes. She needed to get her head straight and she needed to let those she was closest to know as much about the crisis she was facing to help them understand that things had escalated to a frightening place, but at the same time try to reassure them that the police were handling it. What that meant exactly, Amanda did not know, but it sounded reassuring to those who cared about Amanda and the children. It sounded reassuring to Amanda as well. A glimpse of someone else having some control to counteract what her abusive ex-partner had attempted to do was the anchor Amanda clung to, helping calm her fractured nerves. By the time she had finalised her calls, Amanda knew if she did go into a refuge, her best friend would take care of their beloved Samson and their dear cat Frisky if their cat resurfaced. No one had seen Frisky since the morning before they left for school and work and they were worried she might be dead. 
The children had many questions and needed answers. They had inquiring minds and an unwavering faith that their parents have all the answers they need. There were many times the children would ask Amanda questions for which she had no immediate answer and she would jokingly say, is good question, do not know answer. But today was not the time to joke around with the kids. Things were far too serious and Amanda needed them to know it was not safe to go home without alarming them. She needed the children to be calm. They were already hyperactive, just being young with an abundance of energy without adding a level of distress from feeling scared. Thankfully, the diversion the TV created was very useful at distracting them to allow Amanda to have difficult adult conversations with family, friends and crisis support services. Every crisis needs a thorough risk assessment. Amanda needed to try to separate her heart from her head and identify the highest and most imminent risks first. Their safety was top priority and that is where her focus went for the next couple of hours while she figured out where they would be safe for the night. She could not think beyond one night. She could not think of what lay ahead tomorrow or the week to follow. As much as she did not want to get a taste of what it was like to flee to a women's refuge, she finally reconciled that she would need to pluck up the courage and call safe steps. She made the call, but in the few hours since she last spoke to the refuge, they had breached capacity and were unable to provide beds for the night for her and her children. Tears she had been holding in slid down her cheeks. The last thing she wanted to do was impose on John and Sarah, but after their kind words of reassurance, she gratefully accepted their offer to stay for the night. She felt reassured that their home would not be interfered with because there was a police car stationed outside Amanda's house to keep an eye on her family for the night. She was grateful for the food and shelter John and Sarah gave them. The spare room had two single beds pressed up to the walls. Two of the children snuggled up together in one bed and Amanda lay next to the youngest. She did not sleep a wink all night. She watched her children sleep, her mind bombarded by hundreds of thoughts as she tried to process what had happened and rationalise what her next move should be. She questioned what she was prepared to surrender and what she would fight to the bitter end for. She questioned whether she would keep what they had intact or not. Amanda searched her mind for where to turn to, to rally support, to navigate the challenges they faced. She asked herself who she could rely on in their time of need. She started to prepare a mental list of what she needed to do the following day and who she needed to contact. Although they had been given the comfort of a place to sleep for the night, she could not find peace. Every little creak she heard through the night left her on edge, half expecting her ex-partner to break into her neighbor's house and attack her and the children. She would stiffen up in fear, not wanting to move a muscle or make a sound. 
She watched the children and the doorway anxiously in the darkness and waited for the new day to dawn, hoping and praying she would be able to negotiate a way to keep her and the children out of harm's way. Chapter 6. On average, one woman is killed every week by an abusive partner or ex-partner in Australia, and one child per fortnight is killed by an abusive parent. Never in her wildest imagination did Amanda think she and her children could have become a part of that dreadful statistic, nor did she think she would have no other option to stay safe but to flee her home and live in hiding. But that is exactly what happened over the ensuing months. Much to her dismay, the police were unable to substantiate that her ex-partner had broken the gas pipe under the stovetop and lit the gas heater pilot, nor the many other break-ins, thefts and attempts made to harm them. She and the children went into hiding five times before the police gathered enough evidence on stalking-related charges to enable the police to remand her abusive ex-partner without bail until the date of his hearing. Amanda and her children were in hiding when they found out the police were holding him in jail. Amanda was so psychologically scarred and traumatised by what her and the children had been through that it took many reassurances from the police that they were safe to return to their home. Amanda knew that things could not go on as they had been, with no knowledge of what the outcome of the hearing would be, whether he would be jailed or set free. Amanda had lost all semblance of security. The unwitting terror that had been placed on her and the children with the threat of more attempts to harm them left her with a feeling that no matter where they went, they might never be safe. But to continue to live in the place her ex-partner knew about was out of the question. Leave they must and without delay. She knew that she had only a few short weeks to relocate. The tumultuous months of fleeing and living out of suitcases had prepared her for the eventuality of leaving the life they had known and letting go and surrendering to the need to walk away from all that was familiar. Thankfully, the landlord was by this time aware of their plight and was happy to let them break the lease. She wanted to move as far away as she could. The need to stay in Victoria to have the covering of the protection of the intervention order provided put a limit on how far they could go. They took a few days to travel to a place six hours drive from where they were living and looked at as many rental properties as possible in a 24 hour period. Amanda put in application upon application, hoping and praying one would be successful. On their return to the place, they had tried to make a home where they were a part of the community, where the children went to school, where the children had friends, where Amanda worked, where Amanda had friends, where there was sadly no peace to be found so long as Amanda's ex knew where she and the children were living. They hurriedly made preparations for their abrupt departure. 
staying as much as Amanda wanted was no longer an option. Amanda rallied to raise the money required to cover the bond, the first month's rent and the removalist's costs. In three weeks, she opened her home every day for garage sales and managed to raise almost all the money she needed to make the move. A kind friend came to her aid and loaned her $600 to make up the shortfall. Amanda soon heard she had been approved for a rental property. Rather than share her news with her family and friends of where they were moving, all she could tell them was that they were moving and would stay in touch by phone after Amanda swapped over to a new SIM card. Amanda's new life was a mystery to her and to everyone she left behind, except to know that the first people she would befriend in the place she was moving to would be police and the Family Violence Support Services. The children would start at a new school with a new name and somehow try to appear normal after going through months of being on the run from their father. They had no idea what lay ahead as they closed the door on the house that they had tried to make their home. And they had no idea if they could make their next house their home. Amanda hoped and prayed that one day they would feel the security normal people feel when they come and go from their homes. She prayed that one day her home would be a sanctuary where they would all feel safe. Chapter 7. Amanda's abusive ex-partner served two terms in jail for breaches to the intervention order, including stalking-related charges. His first term was seven months and Amanda and her children had to go through a second relocation shortly after he was released when he tracked them down. Another set of traumas, expense and upheaval ensued for Amanda and her children. Another harrowing story for another time. Many months and many adjournments later, her ex-partner was sentenced to a second term in jail for pursuing them again. Amanda knows little of what became of her ex-partner from that point. Their second relocation was the beginning of a path to healing. Being connected to many support services helped Amanda and the children receive the help they needed to find their feet again. She succeeded in securing an indefinite intervention order within a year of her second relocation, which gave her and her children a legal covering stipulating her ex-partner never come into contact with them again. Without this indefinite court order, Amanda would have needed to go back to the magistrate's court every year to apply for a new order to help her and her children stop the cycle of abuse. Amanda's ex-partner is required to follow the terms of the order and not attempt to contact her or the children. And Amanda has no desire to keep tabs on his whereabouts. So long as he stays away, she is no longer concerned about what he does with his life. For the first few years, Amanda was hypervigilant, always looking over her shoulder, doing simple things like taking her dog out for a walk was frightening for her as she was on guard in case her ex-partner might be stalking her. She had worries about the children when they were at school, afraid that he might turn up and take them. 
from time to time, Amanda would hear through the grapevine that her ex-partner never wanted to return to jail, making it more likely that the intervention order be the deterrent it is intended to be. Amanda and the children have had the peace of having no incidents of concern for the last few years. Time proved to be the best antidote for a gradual return to normality. As time passed, the fear of being pursued started to subside. Amanda and her children still have moments where there are indicators that they are being surveyed. At these times, they quickly revert back to behaviours to protect themselves just in case, but these times of uncertainty no longer hold them to ransom. Amanda has learned to discern between real and perceived fears and be guided to act appropriately to threats to her safety and her sanity. Tapping into mental health support has been as important to her as accessing support from crisis support services. The memory of the revolving door is fading into the distance for Amanda and her children. They now have the ability to shut fearfulness out and open the door to new opportunities, which helps them to be in control of what path they want to take in their lives. Conclusion, there are many more chapters filled with uncertainty, trauma and fear that could be added to this story. But the good news is the story does not end here. The challenges I faced eventually led to a door of a beautiful home that represented the security and safety my children and I had longed for. Having been through so much, I was at risk of getting locked into a victim mindset, and this would have left me feeling powerless to create different outcomes for my future and different outcomes for my children's future. With a clinical diagnosis of PTSD due to the traumatic experiences I survived in the abusive relationship, I could be forgiven for needing to withdraw from normal life. PTSD still to this day renders me from time to time incapable of being able to communicate calmly about my needs. And I still have nightmares that are so frightening I am unable to talk about them. Rather than withdraw from life because of this, I have stepped further and further forward into life. I have leaned into my discomfort and mental anguish and have finally learned how to self-partner consistently to heal and feel whole again. Instead of staying silent to try and protect myself from more hurt, I have stretched myself to use my voice in numerous ways. I advocate for victims and survivors in my podcast, Tiara's Tears and Triumphs. My guests speak up and speak out about the challenges women face and we talk about the ways to break free from victimhood and become truly empowered and most especially to heal and feel whole again. I have allowed myself to step into the limelight to perform publicly as a singer. Recently, I received a lovely positive aff affirmation from a lady who was listening to me performing live. She said, 
before I saw you, I thought I was listening to a CD and I asked the gallery owner who the artist was so that I could buy the CD because I really love the sound of your voice. I share this with you, not because I think I'm anything special, but because this has been a liberating step for me. I have always loved singing, but like many whose talents lay latent, I felt like an imposter standing up on stage and performing. Those thoughts of self-doubt often shut us down from going after the things we want in life and they become self-imposed limitations. I needed to have the courage to take those nerve-wracking first steps of standing in front of an audience and opening my mouth to sing. I needed to allow myself to be a diamond in the rough before I became more polished by getting up and performing again and again. Taking these steps has helped me grow in confidence and reconnect with my voice. Women lose their voices and themselves in abusive relationships. And that is why I now help women to find their voice and their confidence to feel seen, heard and valued. The secret to creating a rich and rewarding life is learning ways to create better outcomes for your life. Making yourself a lifelong learner is the key to unlocking many doors that you desire being able to walk through. That's what I have done. I have taken action, choosing to close the door on fearfulness and open the door to opportunity. And in doing this, I have turned my pain into my power. I am an example that it is never too late to go after the things you truly desire, giving yourself permission to be open to learn what it is you don't yet know. I am the founder of a service-based business that empowers women to leave victimhood behind and step into the life they desire. I am the host of the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast, which is a safe space for victims and survivors of abuse to tune in and get support with the challenges they face and for them to be inspired to heal and rebuild on the other side of abusive relationships. I also run a free Facebook group that women from all around the world are part of and you are very welcome to join called Rise Up with Tiara's Tears and Triumphs. This group provides tips and inspiration to help women feel supported, encouraged to rise to their highest potential in their personal and professional lives. If you are a victim of an abusive relationship, please reach out and get support. As I said, your safety is the top priority closely followed by your sanity remember as much as it seems impossible everything else is figure outable you can access a free crisis support list in the notes for anyone who is on the other side of an abusive relationship who is ready to invest in breaking free from victimhood and rebuild a rich and rewarding life you can book a clarity call by just going to the notes all right, sending you love, light and blessings, Sandy Johnston. We all go through dark times. When we do, we often feel alone. This is a safe space for you to come and look for some light. 
I'm a survivor of an abusive relationship and for a long time I had no voice because I was too scared to speak up and speak out about what was happening to me. I couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel but when I turned a corner in my life the light started filtering through and I left my old life behind. I am here now to help other women feel seen, heard and valued. I'm reaching out with my light shining on you to help you find your way out of the darkness. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. A note of encouragement, if you are struggling with your mental health, please reach out for support with some form of counselling. If you don't know where to start to find a counsellor, a good place to start is to talk with your doctor. There are also many online counselling supports available. And a word of advice, if the counsellor is not a good fit for you, try another. And if you need to, try another until you have one that is the right fit for you. Tune in again for the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast, helping women who have been hurt to heal and grow, hosted by me, Sandy J. This program provides a safe place to work on inner peace and a strong mindset, spells out how to spot the red flags, advises on ways to stay safe and work on effective safety planning, gives tips on how to look after you when things are tough, teaches empowerment strategies, acknowledges life's challenges and explores ways to meet these challenges head on, to go from surviving to rising to striving and finally to thriving. The show includes interviews with other survivors who have come out the other side, who share their stories and insights, as well as interviews with therapists and people working in support roles. I am a survivor and I use my experience and skills to help other women like me. Please listen and be uplifted to rise in this safe space where dignity, kindness and compassion are treasured. And don't forget, if you need some support, I am here for you. I don't want any woman to suffer alone in silence. I don't want any woman to feel oppressed and feel that there is no way out. I want you to know that you can turn a corner. I am a life change facilitator. I help women regain control over their lives. You can find me at sandyj.com.au. Hey now, can you just pause a moment before you go? Because I need you to share your light and leave a review. Can you just take a quick minute to leave a review in iTunes to let other women know this is a show they can trust? It would mean the world to me if you could help shine a light for someone who can't see the light at the end of their tunnel. 
I need you to do this for someone else who needs some support and encouragement. If you like this show, please subscribe and you will automatically be updated with future episodes when they are released. And please share this podcast with anyone you know who it might help. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Sending you lots of love and light and above all else, wishing you well. You are brilliant. Keep shining. Stay safe. Sandy.